Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing A Duchess a Day by Sherith Michaels. This was published in 2020 and is the first book in the Awakened by a Kiss series. This is the first book we're reading by Sherith Michaels and I have to say it was very fun. It's a Snow White and the Seven Dwarves retelling, which is fun because as far as fairy tale retellings go, as much as I love Beauty and the Beast, I needed a break. So true. Um, And I think I really, really, really enjoyed it. I'm glad I knew it was a fairy tale retelling going in. Like, I'm glad it was so obvious because I think I liked that shtick so much. Yes. and it leans into the shtick in a way more than it leans into being a traditional romance novel with really well-developed characters. And we'll talk about this when we get to the sex, but it all sort of fizzles out. Yeah. So I think as a fairy tale retelling, I loved it and thought it was so much fun and have like adored the hell out of this book. It's super unique and super fun. But if what you're looking for is like really well-developed main characters who have really steamy and deep sex and conversation that ain't what this is no that's no. not a criticism it's just no. like laying the groundwork yes that's not the point of this book mm-hmm. all right let's start out with the jacket an heiress with a plan lady helena lark has spent years trying to escape her wedding to the vain and boring duke of lusk she's evaded refused even run away when her family's patience runs out They pack her off to London to walk down the aisle. But Helena has another idea. Find a more suitable bride to take her place, even if she must look for a replacement duchess every day. A bodyguard with a job to do. Declan Shaw, better known as the Huntsman, is a mercenary who can pick and choose his clientele. After his last job, escorting a young noblewoman to France, landed him in jail under false accusations. He wants nothing to do with aristocrats or women. But the law isn't done with him, and if he agrees to babysit a duke's errant fiancé, the payout could make his legal troubles go away. A most unexpected alliance. When their worlds collide, Declan realizes that containing his new client is only slightly harder than keeping his hands off her. Helena senses an ally in her handsome new bodyguard and solicits his help. Together, they must escape the forces that oppose them and fight for the fairy tale love they desire. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I will say the one thing that this book jacket misses is the whimsy of the book. Yes. So I really wish this jacket had found a way to explain that the replacement duchesses are the seven dwarves. When I figured that out, I was dying. Oh my God. I loved it. It was so much fun. And the girl that the huntsman was escorting to France is named Nightly Snow and has the full Disney outfit and everything. It's. This book is so much fun. And the evil Duke fiancé is being manipulated by a super evil uncle. Yes. Who is pretty much the evil queen. And they play a drinking game called Mirror Mirror. Yes. 
like the full blown, like this isn't a fairy tale retelling in the sense that like, this isn't about Snow White and the Prince. Right. But the details that she managed to incorporate and pull through, like this is an accomplishment and this jacket doesn't do that stuff justice. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, I, you're right. This is not a fairy tale retelling. This is a, a whimsical romance novel inspired by all of the... This is fairy tale fan fiction. Yes. All of the trappings of the fairy tale. And specifically Disney Snow White. Yep. I, I mean, it, it was great. <laughs> and just little things like um, Helena Lark is, lives in an apple orchard. Mm -hmm. And is always ca carrying apples around, apples around. So they're not poison apples, and it has nothing to do with Snow White or the Evil Queen. But like that imagery is just woven through in such subtle ways. And yeah, the whimsy, but like the cleverness, yes, of the story is so missing from this jacket. Even if like I can't pick nits over inaccuracies, right? It's it's actually very accurate. It's just not. We've talked about this. It doesn't it doesn't bring you the spirit of the book. Right. I think. I think the cover of the book does a really good job, actually, of giving you that sort of idea of whimsy, but not the book jacket. So, as usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50 and wrote our own summaries, and this week our random number was 4. So, Meg, what was your four-word summary? <laughs> so, my four-word summary was, Lego the Huntsman, Snow. Okay, I think that captures the whimsy. <laughs> Okay, Snow White in well, Nightly Snow in this book is like a fucking airhead. I loved her. I <laughs> loved her. But she really, like, first of all, it's her running away from him that has the huntsman in Newgate. Yep. But then once she shows back up, because she's not dead, you know that from the beginning. It's not a spoiler. She's like all over him. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so good. And he's also like, why would you think I would be into you after you abandoned me and then didn't come to my aid when I was in jail? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what's your forward summary? His freedom or hers? Oh, <laughs> I like it. So this sort of gets into the tropes. And one of the things I loved the most about this book, the central conflict as presented at the beginning is he is working to earn his freedom and the money to support himself while free to do that he has to make sure she gets married mm -hmm. her goal is to not get married right so like centrally for one of them to get the thing that they want the other one will be condemned to a horrible life right him in prison and her married to this dick the other will live happily ever after. And so it's presented that like only one of them gets the fairy tale ending. And rather than letting that actually be the conflict, they both just sort of say, fuck it, we'll find a way to get the happy ending for both of us from like the jump. I loved, I loved it. it so much. I mean, this, this hits, this is what we love about romance. We love two characters who are like, let's make this shit work. They're on the same side, and they are just going for it. I love it. It's, it was so much fun. Um, so before we dive into tropes, tropes, Meg, did you identify a Gentleman Jackson's Get Fit workout for the bodyguard posing as a groom? 
I mean, yes. It is sort of an obvious one, which is that he is a mercenary for hire. Mm -hmm. But in the book, the only workout you really see him doing is carrying Helena around. But he carries her around a lot. He carries the Duke of Lusk at one point. Oh, he does. He does carry the Duke at one point. He carries people. Yes. But mostly Helena. Yeah, mostly Helena. And a lot of times it's in a very sexy way. Mm Mm-hmm. So. I believe that is more of a workout than um, a brisk morning walk. I think it may even be more of a workout than a brisk morning ride. But yeah, I don't know. He's like huge and burly. Like this is the sexy version of the guy on brawny paper towels. Yes. He's, he is the huntsman. He's a giant mercenary hulking, anything you want to imagine. I mean, I imagined quite a bit. He's very sexy. Yeah. He's a, he's great. So the big trope here is fairy tale retelling. We've talked about it at length, so I don't think we have to discuss it further. Right. Uh, in this specific fairy tale retelling, she is betrothed to adult for her land specifically. So it has to be her. He can't just, he doesn't just need money. So he can't just find another heiress. Uh, her grandmother left her specifically the land because her grandmother knows that she cares about the orchard and the apples on the land, basically. Crofters. Yes. Uh, I mean, it it actually made a lot of sense for such an over-the-top whimsical novel. You're like, oh, okay, now I get it. Yeah, and we've seen this not abusive parents, but just neglectful parents who don't know their daughter at all, who are title hunting, mm-hmm. betrothing the daughter who's the heir or has the land or whatever to the first idiot with the title who wants her. Yeah. So this fits into that traditional romance trope to a T. Absolutely. This does a thing that annoys me sometimes, but it made me laugh here. Several points in the book, she like just admits she's trusting her gut and she's going Mm -hmm. with whatever. And the first time that happened, they stopped the text and put in a paragraph where she's literally like, later on, she wouldn't be able to tell you why this is what she did in the moment. And I don't know why it's such a trope. It made me laugh here. I didn't hate it. But I always notice it, and it never seems to do anything. Yes. The, I call that the Sarah McLean trope because she uses it so much. But you're right. It's not just Sarah McLean. There are a yeah. lot of authors who use it. So this one does that, for sure. Yes. So he is falsely imprisoned. We actually already talked about that. But the whole Newgate, no less. Yes. The whole reason that he is with her acting as her personal groom (laughs) is because he he's anyway, he was he's been imprisoned and they let him out to in order that he um, ensure that the marriage take place, basically, because she has run away several times in the past. And like, we need someone to guard her. All the time. But he was let out. Yes, for that reason, because there was a job for him to do. But he was imprisoned for murdering this girl. 
but there's no body, so they can't actually bring him to trial. So he's in Newgate while they try to figure out what the hell happened to her. They just know she's disappeared. And he's being released because someone has convinced the jailer that this girl has been cited and is not dead, and therefore imprisoning him for a murder that didn't happen does not make sense. Yeah. But they could always make that eyewitness evidence disappear. Right. And toss him back in jail. So. Yep. Uh, this is the bodyguard trope. It is. There's a, I mean, there is a twist on it, which is that she doesn't know he's her bodyguard. He, he's supposed to be her. I just loved, I loved, like, the whole thing. He's her personal groom. So he's supposed to, you know, fetch and carry for her. <laughs> Slash fetch and carry her. Well, yeah, I mean, she, he carries oh, her most of the time. And they both get off on the role play of her being, like, a bossy, like, pretentious aristocrat and him being her servant. Uh-huh. It's so funny. I love it. Um, so we again, we already talked about this as well, but yes, her her betrothed, this disgusting duke, is controlled by the evil uncle. Yes, and he is also the same guy who holds the huntsman's fate in his hands. Right. And he's the one who really wants Helena's land. Yes. And it's interesting because this is a romance novel trope, but I think it's also kind of a fairy tale trope, the evil, the wicked step uncle or, you know, the wicked stepmother. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I like that she used it here because I think it was very appropriate. Yes. This is lust at first sight. Uh-huh. <laughs> she sees him as, uh, you know, a spy pretending to be a servant. Oh, she, she's on to him immediately. On to him immediately. But is also like, okay, I'm just compelled to look at him. And I think it's my gut telling me he's a good, useful person. (laughs) And I want to be like, no, honey, you're really into him. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no. Oh, shit. I've never had a problem with a, a job before, but oh, no, I like her. Oh, no. Like, right from the jump. It's so funny. It's, uh, I loved loved the entire dynamic, everything between them. You know, I, I just don't care. If you're going to give me insta-love, insta-lust, you know, sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. It worked for me here. I mean, I think fairy tale trope is the time it always works. Absolutely. Because I'm not expecting real character development or growing feelings. Right. I'm expecting lust with a guaranteed happily ever after with no justification, and I'm happy to take that at face value. Yep. Uh, any other tropes we forgot? I think we're good. All right. Uh, so I have to say, again, this is the first book that we read by Sheriff Michaels. She reminds me a lot of Elizabeth Boyle in how whimsical and how fun her books are. So this was the first one I read. I have read one other by her in the meantime. But it's just unapologetic about how ridiculous and fun it is. Agree on the whimsy, though Elizabeth Boyle is so much sexier that I think it depends on what you read Elizabeth Boyle for, whether or not you'll (laughs) think this is similar. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Not an insult to either one of them. No. No, It's a statement of fact. Like, this is as close to PG-13 as a book with a sex scene can be. 
I mean, I guess I think I found it sexier than you. It's just not that explicit. It's very sexy. It's not that explicit. I agree. But that's like, there is no oral. There is no fingering. There's like mention of an erection and then mention of penetration. But that's pretty much it. Yeah, but there's a lot of making out. Right, but that's PG-13. I, I mean, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm saying. Like, whereas Elizabeth Boyle is NC-17. <laughs> okay. I'm not, once again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just trying to set expectations. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so Lane mentioned this before. There's a lot of plot stuff that could have been really angsty. Like the setup to this book is, is major angst, right? It's basically like there's no way these two characters could ever be together. One of them is going to be unhappy. It, but right, like she's in, engaged to a guy who will make her life a living hell. He's got Newgate hanging over his head. He comes from an impoverished family with a dad who's a tailor who can't work anymore in his old age and would veer very much into anything for my sisters if his sisters were characters on the page and not just mentioned plot devices. But like mm -hmm. both of their lives kind of suck. Yeah. Yeah. And both of them are both of them are trying to find the best way forward for themselves, but also for each other, which I really liked. I really liked it a lot. But the point you were trying to make is for all of that drama, this is not an angsty book ever. No. I, and she doesn't even shy away from a lot of the social issues that are in here. So they're, they talk about the unfairness of the class system. Declan's got, he has a real problem with masculine pride because he's like, I want to, you know, defend, I want to protect my woman, I want to be able to support her, but he has no money, and he has no job. Um, I mean, his, and not only that, his job is literally, like, being a protector, so the fact that he can't protect her is, like, even worse. And this is so jumping the gun. The way that theme is carried through the epilogue is perfect. Mm-hmm. It really is. I really, I just, this book made me smile a Like lot. his need to provide and protect that could have been presented in such, like, such a shitty alpha way yes. never is. No. It's always channeled so productively for both of them. And I just, I loved it. Guys, it was really good. I just, it's just so good. I just loved yes. it. So in the book jacket, we, we glossed over this, but in the book jacket, it mentions that her plan, so her plan for not marrying the Duke is that she's going to find a more suitable or, or better suited bride for him. Yes. So she makes a list of people, of women who she thinks would be good matches for him. And then she goes to meet with each of these women to convince I want to be very clear, though. She's looking to make him happy in the sense that she wants him to like the girl enough to throw him her over for them. Right. But she's very concerned with making sure she's not like tricking a woman that he would like. Yeah. She's assessing the women, not just for how likely she thinks it is that he'll be attracted to them, but also like being very upfront with him about how much he sucks. Yeah. So she's basically exclusively recruiting women who just want the house and the title and don't give a shit about how sucky he is. I, it, it's the everything about it was hilarious. 
I wasn't sure how it was going to play out when she started talking about it. But then when she meets with each of these women. Well, also, her original plan, even though she has, like, a map of London and their hangouts, is just to chase them around the city all day. And it takes the huntsman who, using his mercenary or higher skills, to explain to her there is a more intelligent way to go about meeting these people. Oh, my gosh. It was so funny. But here's the deal. Every time she meets with them, they, their counterpart, so they are the stand-in for one of Disney's seven dwarves, right? So uh, there's Happy, Sneezy, Grumpy, Dopey, Dopey. <laughs> oh, Doc, anyway. Bashful. Yes, Doc and Bashful. And every time she would meet one of the, once I figured out what was going on, because it's not made explicit in the book jacket and you don't really get it, but. After you meet the first one, I was, every time she met one of his prospective brides, I was like, which one is it? Which one is it? Oh, my gosh. It could not have been better. It, it, was, it honestly was, like, perfectly executed. It was so funny for such a ridiculous idea. Because let's be honest, it's ridiculous she's going to find a bride for this guy. And then her counterpart is one of the seven dwarves in Disney and the Disney Snow White. But it's just perfect. It was so much fun. All right. So this is a romance novel. They do end up together. So that means that her fiance, Lusk, ends up with someone else. Or if he doesn't end up with someone else, he, you know, allows allows her to throw him over, basically. And throughout the entire book, he's presented as this, like, pretty disgusting guy. Mm-hmm. But at the end, he I don't want to say he's redeemed because he doesn't get a redemption, but it turns out that he's not as quite as awful as you think he has been. This is actually, like, the one thing in the book I'd quibble over and I didn't uh-huh. really enjoy. I kind of got the impression he was supposed to be, like, cursed or under a spell or... But that was never really explicit. Right. And there's sort of a joke at the end of a true love's first kiss thing. And obviously true love's first kiss in fairy tales breaks the curse. And it's the one way that I feel like if you really wanted him not to be redeemed, but to be, like... Less of a dick than you thought. <laughs> I needed that curse to be a little more explicit because there's a moment before the end during that mirror, mirror drinking yes. game. Uh huh. When she like sees him as a person. Yeah. And rather than like an automaton. And he spends so much of the book like wasted. I don't know. I just, I was okay with the level to which he was redeemed. I didn't feel like an abusive person because he was never like, horrific and he right. never truly becomes a good person no. so I wasn't frustrated with that but I just sort of thought he was a missed opportunity like I either wanted less of him or more of him yeah I like your idea of him being under a curse or under a spell that gets broken at the end but you're right it wasn't it wasn't really investigated or examined right I didn't hate it mm-hmm. but it kind of took it's the only thing that I could say like once I understood what this book was, yeah, I think I thought every choice really supported it so, so, so well. 
And that's the one choice that I was like, I needed you to either lean into the fairy tale, either by making him cursed or the biggest dick in the world, or I needed him to be like such a minor thing. Right. What about you? I mean, I, I think I was a little bit confused by it. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think part of it is that everything else, as you say, was like so perfectly executed. And that was like the really the one weak spot in the entire text. But anyway. I completely agree. Did anything offend you? So... Let me start this by saying that I was not offended by anything in this book. I do want to point out a couple of things that could possibly be triggering or be considered content warnings. The first one is that the very first time he makes out with her, so they both are super into each other. She goes to see him in private in his room in the barn because he has a groom's room. Groom's room. <laughs> anyway, he's got his, he's got a room in the stable. <laughs> oh, and they have a conversation. He's like, "I need to get her out of here because I can't be sympathizing with her." And so, to scare her away, he decides the best way to do that is to make out with her. It's shitty logic, and he sort of knows it at the time. To be clear. I think he just makes an excuse because he wants to make out with her. Yeah, I was a little disturbed, though, when while making out, he kept saying, you're afraid. You're so afraid. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? You sound like a serial killer. Yes, but I also love how she was like, were you trying to scare me away? Because number one, it didn't work. And number two, that was kind of jerky. So I think that if and I kind of can forgive it more than I would in a uh, non fairy tale adaptation, because I think that was part of the homage to the Huntsman. Absolutely, yes. And him being the scary, threatening entity. Yes. So the so, fact that it was like played as a, you're not scary at all, like made it work for me in a way it maybe wouldn't have otherwise. Yes. I do want to make it clear, though, that it does happen, that he decides mm-hmm. to use sex in a offensive, scary way. Yes. Okay. There's that. Uh, and then we already talked about it, but the Duke... Her fiance is pretty disgusting in general. He hangs out, objectifies women, gets drunk, uses drugs. I mean, it's it's implied that he just has a lot of vices. So, yeah, like I said, he may or may not be cursed. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so I feel like I could better assess his character if I knew whether or not he was, you know, under a magic spell. Yeah. Selene, did you think this book was sexy? Yes. It was unquestionably incredibly sexy. Mm -hmm. As I alluded to earlier, I don't think it was very graphic. Yes. I think you... This is a book where these two characters cannot keep their hands off of each other because they are so attracted to each other. Every time they are left alone, anywhere, doesn't matter where they are, what they're supposed to be doing, they will end up making out with each other. Even if it makes absolutely no sense in the moment. And I didn't care. I loved No, I it. loved it so much. I loved it so much. I also want to make it clear that apparently Declan, this is what I talk about by him picking her up a lot. That's just what he does when they make out. She's always on him in some way. Like there is a scene where he is just straight up standing up in the middle of the room. 
holding her and yeah. they're just making out. And I was like, you know what? I'm into it. Yeah, I will totally admit that, like, clearly a lot of women, given its prevalence in romance novels, I get really into, like, the guy who can throw you around thing. Yeah. That's, like, big and strong enough to just pick you up like you ain't nothing. Yeah. And this leans into that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not kidding. He's just standing up in the middle of the room. He has no, he's not propped on anything. There are scenes where he is leaning back against the wall. Other scenes where she's leaning back against the wall. But that's just how he makes out, I guess. Yeah. And I, I got the impression there was a large height disparity. Yeah. So he and has so to. he fixed it. Right. He, he, you know, he fixes. He's a fixer. He's a fixer. Yeah. You know, he's a very supportive guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of myself. You really should be. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I was not let down by the, the by the sex scene. That said, it was not you are correct in that it was not like super explicit. Yeah, I, I think it was it was less of a I was let down and more of like in hindsight I recognize I recognize it as the perfect conclusion to this book. Right. And like this is what I wanted from the sex scene from this book. I think for how desperate they were to be touching at all times throughout the book the actual consummation didn't up the ante other than adding penetration so like it's fine it's perfectly in line with what the book is but I just think reading it the first time I was expecting something a little bit more explicit I I get it I see what you mean and now I'm okay with where it ended up but I just want to point out that in the moment I was like wait this this is it after the whole book of, like, constant fucking lust, I get, like, two pages? Okay. I, oh, my gosh. I think my favorite example was she tries to run away. It's, like, pouring yeah. rain. She tries to run away. He goes after her, grabs her, brings her back into the carriage. The evil uncle is there, and he's, like, oh, I'm glad you caught her. And he's, like, yeah, totally. They get in the carriage, and then they just make out. And yeah. the whole time... He's like, this is the last time. And she's like, yeah, totally. And they just keep kissing. And he's like, we better stop now. And she's like, yeah, of course, I'm stopping the right now. The number of we're stopping while not stoppings, like, it it w- got to the point of absurdity and then came back to perfect. I like, it was it. so prevalent. It's so good. It was just so, so... This book is just super, super fun. Like, honestly, I loved it. If you like fairy tale adaptations, highly recommend this one. And if you like, if you like books that are not like super deep angst, but really lean into like the whimsical, fun, over the topness, yes, that's what this book is. Absolutely. So thank you guys so much for listening. We'd love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out anywhere we can be found around the internet, especially Instagram at Plot Trists or Goodreads slash Plot Trists.